Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Blood is Red, Volume 1 of the Color Collection series of short story anthologies written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Blood is Red is also available as an ebook and an unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash blood is red. Hello, Junkie. The Crypt Shakedown is out October 3rd, 2023. If you hear this episode before that date, make sure you pre-order Audible, signed hardcover, or unsigned hardcover from the links available at scottsigler.com slash the crypt. Except for Kindle. If you want Kindle, buy that on October 3rd, 2023. That timing helps us just a little bit. If you are listening to this on or after October 3rd, buy the goddamn thing already! I poured my heart and my soul into this book in hopes that it rips out your heart and your soul, because that's just the kind of guy I am. While The Crypt Shakedown is a Sigler-verse story, you don't need to read any other Sigler-verse books in order to enjoy it. It is book one of a series, so get in now on the ground floor. Again, that is scottsigler.com slash the crypt. One word, T-H-E-C-R-Y-P-T. Now, let's talk about today's story. This is a tale that's in my Blood is Red anthology of short stories, and it is a real girl herself's favorite work that I have ever written. There are many who believe that citizens have a right to know when sexual predators are in their midst. To be marked as a sex offender, a pedophile, a child rapist, is to carry a stigma that all but banishes you from society. And if that mark is literal, a permanent technique utilizing not-so-distant future technology, anonymity vanishes, and all who see you know of your crime. For a man who is wrongly convicted of such horrible deeds, this mark becomes his life. And now, Red Man. Red Man by Scott Sigler The woman at the corner booth is staring at me. She's older, about 45, or perhaps a hard life made her look that way. Many people in this place lead hard lives. The restaurant is in Hunter's Point, after all. Her hair is brown and stringy, and she's still bundled in a ratty yellow overcoat, even though it's quite warm inside the diner. The place is full of the clinks and scrapes and slurps and conversational drone of the working class, a group I used to belong to, but none of it seems to involve her. It's as if she's tuned out everything but me. I'm a focus for hatred born from protective, aggressive fear for her child. Her little red-haired kid is oblivious to the stare. He's got dirt smears on his face. He's making yummy noises and devouring a bowl of cocoa puffs. He must get the red hair from his dad. I wonder if the bitch even knows who the boy's father is. Most people stare only a little, or out of the corner of their eye. 
When I look up, they look away. Not this woman. She's staring a hole right through my head. I've already looked at her twice, once with a smile and once with the best indignant look I could muster. But the latter only lasted a few seconds before I had to look away. Her hateful gaze never flinched. At least she stayed to finish her meal. The only other lady in the diner with the child up and left the second I sat down at the counter. She left a 20 to pay for the coffee and bagel and just vamoosed. That only leaves about $2 for the waitress. Isn't much of a tip, but then again, I don't really think the woman stopped to consider the waitress's feelings. There are some other patrons in the diner, and I think some of them know who I am. Those who do, they know my face from all those news broadcasts from five years ago. Some of them know I was wrongly convicted, know that I'm not a child molester. But that collective memory seems to be fading from the public's consciousness. More and more, I just get the stares, or I get people leaving a half-eaten bagel and dragging their five-year-old out of the diner by a cream cheese-smeared sleeve. I flip through the menu, watching pictures of various dishes scroll past on the countertop. An ad for Rolaids flashes on the bottom edge of the counter, while sports scores and stock quotes scroll along the top. My Giants drop their fifth and sixth straight, losing both games of a doubleheader with Oakland. Some things never change. Gentel is up two and three-eighths. I wonder what the staring woman would say if she knew I just made another hundred thou from that little price jump. She'd never believe me, even if I told her, and I doubt she wants to make small talk. No one wants to talk to a red man. I can vaguely see my reflection in the countertop scratched glass. My face provides a counterpoint to the food-slash-news-slash-sports images that scroll by underneath. The country fried steak looks good, even though the screen is slightly out of focus and missing a few pixels. I keep scrolling, focusing more on my reflection than on the dishes. I see the stripes on my skin. The red color shows I'm a sex offender. The raccoon rings around my eyes shows I'm a rapist, and the thick, ragged zebra stripe running from cheek to cheek and across my nose shows I'm a child molester. I'm trying to look at the chili dog combo plate, but all I can focus on is my reflection. In that way, I guess I'm just like the staring woman. I can't look away either. I always find it amazing that in the brief eight years since the government adopted Abigail Dewerson's marker virus for identifying convicted felons, everyone has the color and pattern codes memorized to the point where only small children need to ask what the strange marks mean. That knowledge is as ingrained in the collective American psyche as the colors of the flag or the stance of the Statue of Liberty. And yet no one remembers that my markings are a mistake. That bitch is still staring. It's a public place. I have as much right to eat here as anyone else, yet I can't take it anymore. I stand and leave, not able to look at the woman, but I feel her stare drill into me all the way to the door. I step out into the cold January rain. As the diner door slowly swings itself shut, I hear a smattering of applause and a few low-key hoots of victory from inside. I close my eyes tight and ignore it until the door shuts, then all I hear are the honks of angry taxi drivers, the grinding acceleration of air cars, and the constant hiss of air brakes. If I close my eyes tight enough and listen, I can almost pretend things are normal, almost pretend that people across the street aren't already staring at me and moving away.
Things are always better inside Elvis. Elvis is my pride and joy. A vintage 2119 Cadillac Roadster, the last of the road-only luxury cars. I've had it retrofitted, of course, and now it does 65 miles an hour at 200 feet just like anything else in the luxury class. The windows are tinted solid black. I can see out of them just fine, but all anyone can see is the dark, smoky reflection of their cars and their own normal faces. It's nice cruising at 200 feet. Nice to be above the congestion of the wagons, taxis, and mid-sized cars 50 feet below and, God forbid I should ever have to drive there again, the snarl of small and economy-class cars duking it out at 100 feet above the street. What a nightmare that is. Takes almost 40 minutes to get from Sacramento to San Francisco. Things are much faster when you can afford a luxury license. The same trip usually takes me all of 20 minutes, as long as I avoid the 5 o'clock rush that brings out all the tech workers. I hear a honk from my right, a brand new 42 Lincoln town car. The driver is honking and waving, giving me the thumbs up sign. I get that a lot. People love Elvis. It's rare enough to see an actual roadster in one piece, let alone one that's retrofitted for altitude cruising. People who see my car know the driver is not only rich, but darn cool as well. Elvis has style. I honk my horn and wave back. I know the Lincoln driver can't see me, but it feels nice to relate to someone. Feels nice to see a smile directed my way. I spend a lot of time driving. It cost a fortune for Elvis's retrofit. Money I've gotten spades. My lawyer made sure of that when he overturned my conviction. The lawsuit made headlines all over the world. They'd used the marker virus on hundreds of dangerous criminals. That was nothing new. What was new was they'd permanently changed my skin pigmentation to forever mark me as a violent sex offender, and it turned out I didn't do it. The jury took one look at the evidence, then one look at my face, and the case was closed. I pocketed around $400 million in various damages. Like I said, money I've got. Don't get me wrong. It's not that I don't understand the felon marking program because I do. People have a right to know when their neighbors or even co-workers are convicted felons, especially sex offenders. Stats show the recidivist rate at 72% for serious sex offenders. So damn right, people should know who's done what. People have a right to be safe, a right to protect their families, protect themselves. It's a great system. Strap the guy to a table, apply the proper marking template, and cover the exposed area with paste. The paste is just an agar medium that carries the retrovirus. It's easy, doesn't even sting. Only takes two hours. You don't see the full effects for about a week, but from there, you're marked for life. The virus seeks out chemical receptors in the pigment cells of the epidermis and inserts a single strand of RNA. Inside the cells, the reverse transcriptase enzyme converts the RNA into DNA, which becomes part of the cell's genome. Every time the cell splits, the new DNA is in both daughter cells. That piece of new DNA codes for, you guessed it, epidermal pigmentation. Colors tell the public what the convict did, and therefore is likely to do again. Red for sex offender, green for theft or fraud, bright orange for violent crimes. Stripes and patterns within each color show the nature of the crime. The public has a right to know, as they say. Apparently, they don't have a right to know that I'm innocent. 
Once your skin cells pick up the new DNA, you're marked. Works the same on any skin. Black, white, yellow, or brown. If you try to cut it off, you get scar tissue. The same color as the damaged skin. A well-done skin graft can eliminate the color, but facial skin grafts are very complicated, and even the best ones leave horrible patchwork scars. And if your doctor fucks up even a little, you wind up looking like Frankenstein. The plastic surgeons don't get a lot of practice either, as it's illegal to alter skin affected by the marker virus. Few surgeons are willing to risk their license in probable jail terms, not to mention they'd wind up with green markings of their own to build up the experience. Dorison used amphibian genes for the coloration. The green comes from the common tree frog, the orange from the long-tailed salamander, and the red from the poison arrow frog. Amphibian DNA is easy to work with and very robust as an inserted medium. At least that's what I read. I read a lot about the procedure. Everything there is to read, really. If your face screamed child molester, I bet you'd be one well-read motherfucker, too. I've been thinking more and more about a skin graft procedure, but I'd like to wind up with my old face and my old skin again. Not a set of scars that makes me look like Elvis's superconductor drive conked out, and I fell 200 feet to tumble face-first through the windshield. I'm holding out for someone to invent a cure for the altered pigmentation. Things don't look good on that front, either. So far, I'm the only one with a legal right to eliminate the markings. One man doesn't exactly make a market worthy of an expensive R&D program. I've spent a considerable amount of my fortune trying to remove these stripes. You'd think they could just do a similar process, create a virus that would snip out the part coating for red and insert a normal shade. Trouble is, Duerson somehow strengthened the inserted piece of genetic coating. So far, no one can dislodge the modified piece of DNA. I want these things gone, but I'm not willing to experiment with my face. I've seen shows on the rich ex-cons who've tried unproven methods. They wind up looking like leprosy victims from centuries past. I'd rather be a red man than have a face full of open, oozing, rotting sores. I guess Duerson didn't want anybody escaping their mark of shame, their ubiquitous warning to the public. The only one who could probably figure out a cure is the good doctor herself, and she's not talking. She's dead. She killed herself shortly after the marker virus became part of the legal system's standard procedures. You should have seen the ACLU go apeshit when the Supreme Court ruled the process constitutional. Dr. Duerson, you see, lost her only child, a seven-year-old girl, to a paroled, repeat sex offender. Lived right down the street, if you can imagine that. No one knew his record. It only came out after he raped, sodomized, and murdered seven-year-old Cassie. Dr. Duerson got her revenge in a way, made certain no family would ever have to fall prey to the same stupid mistake. There's no mistaking an ex-con now, that's for goddamn sure. After Duerson perfected the marker virus and saw it implemented, I guess she figured she didn't have much to live for. Sometimes, I truly understand the logic that drove her to that final, creative use of her scalpel. Lately, I understand that logic more and more. More and more. I'm hungry. I really want a nice diner burger, some greasy fries, and a cup of coffee. I want to sit and watch the Warriors highlights on the countertop. I want to hear people wonder if it'll be another century before the Niners win an NFL championship. I want to suffuse myself in the muted conversations and the rhythmic clinks of cheap silverware on cheaper dishes. I want to be normal. 
but as much as I want that, I don't think I'm up for another stare down. Looks like I'll just head home. Domino's delivers, yet again. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Author's note for Redman. I'd love to tell you that Red Man is a socio-political commentary on our culture's relative inability to forgive criminals, juxtaposed against the need to protect our children against people who are biologically hardwired to be pedophiles. But telling you that would make me sound all pretentious and stuff. Instead, how about I pop a brew and say something like, Man, wouldn't it suck balls to be convicted of a crime you didn't commit and never be able to escape the stigma? Wait. Stigma is also a fancy word. Well, screw it. In 1997, I started a campaign to write and finish a short story every week, just to get used to the format and learn how to discipline myself for regular weekly output. It lasted 15 or 16 weeks, I don't remember. 
Red Man was the first tale created in this initiative and remains one of my favorites. At the time I wrote the story, sex offender registries were a hot topic. Don't we have a right to know if there's a predator in our midst? Living near a school, perhaps? Well, yeah. But at the same time, if someone has been convicted by a jury of their peers and then served the state's assigned sentence, doesn't that someone have the right to go on with his or her life? A chance to once again become a contributing member of our society? Well, also, yeah. Those two concepts don't go together like chocolate and peanut butter. You can't have both. The Sex Offender Registry was an effort to make sure no man or woman could put his or her past behind them, to assign a permanent brand letting everyone know of their heinous actions. I felt then, and still feel, that this is one of those situations where both sides are in the right. There is no easy answer. Developing a marking system was a simple extension of the registry, a way to make the complex situation even more visceral. It's also one of the few Sigler stories where someone doesn't get shot, blown up, turned into something nasty, or have their fucking face eaten, so it's got that going for it. Which is nice. Red Man was rejected eight times, by the way. From 1997 to 2002, I submitted it to the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, Tailbones, Tales from the Internet, Aboriginal Science Fiction, Altair Publishing, Terra Incognita, Deep Outside SFFH, Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror, and finally, Moda. I podcast Red Man in 2008. It won a Parsec Award for the best short story. You have been listening to Blood is Red, Volume 1 of the Color Collection series of short story anthologies written by Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. For more information on Scott, please visit scottsigler.com. Blood is Red was produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is Dead Silence by the composer Vazia Sakal. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.